Welcome to the BPA University podcast. This episode, Digital Magazine Platform Providers, Technologies and Strategies That Can Help Publishers with the Digital Media Journey, originally broadcast on June 24th, 2020. For more BPA University podcasts, check out iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Our topic of the day, technologies and strategies that can help publishers with digital, the digital media journey. Now, many of us, I think all of us have had some uh, digital publications, uh, a version of over these many years. And this is more about now, as we've seen with BNP, and we'll talk a bit about that in a second with this acceleration to the pivot, I would suggest that the digital media journey is still continuing not only because of the effects of the pandemic, but the technology is changing too. So to help us out, I've invited three people to come speak with us today about technologies and strategies that can help us, us publishers in this digital media journey uh, with a touch really on, on new technologies and what's going on on the strategic side to get people engaged. So we've got three speakers today. Blue Toad has given Paul DeHart. Paul is the co-owner and chief executive. Prior to that, uh, he was an attorney. So he's gonna talk to us a bit about that from uh, Blue Toad's perspective. Issue is with us with Kevin Walker, who's their senior vice president of marketing. Um, prior to that, Kevin was a uh, with Indeed.com and in, in between that with Envision, all in Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities in America. And uh, Jean Zamora from Zinio. And she's going to talk to us as well today. She's been there for a while. Now it shows Naviga on the LinkedIn, which I think if I'm not mistaken, Jean uh, now is the owner of Zinio. And before that at, uh, great. And before that at InnoData. So she's got uh, about six years now with Zinio and has some experience to share with us there in terms of the strategies and the technologies. So as we have done with each one of our, our sessions here, we'd like to open it up and just ask each of you to tell us a little bit about your personal experience, which relates to work and, and home uh, with the pandemic. And so leading off in, in sort of alphabetic, Paul, tell us how's the pandemic hit you folks? Yeah, th thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having us, um, you know, on the panel. Um, you know, for me, me personally, obviously having a business, um, you know, adjusting to being in a remote work environment, we uh, fortunately had started letting people work in our office from home a few months before all this happened. So we were kind of ready to go um, and make that decision when we needed to. So, so that's been good. Just, you know, trying to stay fully operational, which, which we've been able to do, um, keep providing, you know, good support to our customers. And then personally, um, you know, it's, it's been a mixed bag, obviously like everyone, um, but uh, there's, there's some silver linings there. We, I've got a couple, a couple kids that one just went into college and one's still like late high school and, uh, just kind of getting to regroup and have a bit more family time. Everyone's kind of bought into hanging out and staying together here, you know, during this time. So it's it's been kind of nice from that perspective and looking forward to getting through it. That's for sure. Yeah. And Kevin with yourself. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, personally, it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have, uh, a, a wife and partner who's been able to kind of manage the home front with the children and allow me to actually work from home. Um, unlike many of us who have kind of had to figure out how to deal with a crisis and get some work done while doing that. Um, and I've been remote for the last three years. And so kind of on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a little bit business as usual. Professionally though, I mean, I started a new job here at Issue in January. So it's just like walking in as you're ramping up, boom, kind of hit with this new reality. Uh, we're fortunate in that we've got offices in Copenhagen, Berlin, and Palo Alto. So we've already figured out how to kind of work across time zones and across uh, different offices. And so that just became more dispersed as people were required to work from home. What's been interesting is we've had uh, kind of the opposite business trend that you see as you read the newspapers and, and the news sites today and that we're growing. Uh, we've had some record months uh, across the metrics that we measure. And so we're actually actively hiring and growing our headcount. And so it's been a really interesting time to have to figure out, you know, uh, as people are dispersed, bringing new employees on uh, when we don't have an office to onboard them in. Um, uh, and then, you know, the demand that we're seeing across uh, 
the millions of, of publishers coming and looking to us to help them in this really interesting time. Uh, it's, it's really put us kind of uh, tested our ability to respond quickly and and uh, and help as many people as we can that turn to us for help. Yeah, I've we've had some feedback on the events side of the business um, in dealing with the virtual event suppliers, vendors, if you will, and some of the publishers have told us they had to very quickly move from face-to-face events to virtual events and started to call on some of the vendors. And the vendors were saying something like, look, we're so busy, we can only provide you one demo and you better have all your staff there because if you're not there, you're gonna miss the demo. We don't have the time to come back and redo this again. And oh, by the way, there's a six month waiting list before we can you know, kick this off. So I, I'm not sure every vendor is enjoying that pain point, but um, I would expect, I'm not surprised by what you say because of course this digital pivot is, is happening and brought about by the pandemic. And Gene, what your experiences, please. Yeah, so personally, this is actually my first time working remotely. It's very refreshing in a way that I'm getting my seven to eight hours of sleep. I just started my acrylic painting here on my left. I finished that a couple of days ago. <laughs> so that <laughs> very was good. my first painting. So I think I did good. It looks good on the camera. <laughs> and then um, on work, uh, operationally, um, I don't have any a lot of adjustment to do because our production team is actually in Barcelona. And then of course, everyone, when we're doing check-ins with publishers, mostly now uh, over the phone and conference calls and webinars. The thing that really changed is similar to Kevin, we've gotten a lot of um, requests for demo for publishers who really wanna switch to digital. Um, onboarding people who, you know, tried to talk to us in the past to uh, have digital solutions and now quickly decision, uh, quickly um, doing their decision making to like really start it. Uh, so that has been very busy on that front. Um, I, I I led the North America publishers here at Zinio, now Naviga. So because of the surge of um, of interest from a lot of publishers or other media companies that need digital solutions. I actually had to ask help from our international uh, part of the Zinio team to respond to inquiries yeah. or, uh, from the publishers, so. Yeah, one of the other things, um, we've been doing these, and Glenn Schutz, while, while I'm thinking you can look it up, but I think we're up to 20. This is either number 19 or 20, but when we started in mid-March, one of the first questions that we had gotten came from the digital magazine and the telemarketing sides saying uh, we were deemed non-essential. So in certain facilities, we may have lost our workers and uh, there are audit requirements, you know, the telemarketing side, they had to record the, the calls. And on the digital side, there were some aspects where we had to uh, grant some exceptions in these unusual times to account for, you know, when places were shut temporarily or otherwise which is sort of um, a good segue to a visual that those of you who were on the interview that I did with Tag Henderson, you'll remember this, so I'll show it again. And of course, I picked this up from Bo Sachs from his newsletter. Uh, but, you know, digital transformation is years away. I don't see our company having to change anytime soon. And along comes the COVID-19 wrecking ball. And so as we did back when, um, we had Taggett Henderson talk to us about BNP's change. Folio was reporting at the end of April, what was initially planned for the end of 2022 is now happening. And so they've accelerated that greatly by you know a good two years. And so while there was a lot of publicity about BNP saying, hey, we're going completely to digital except for the three subscription properties, paid subscription properties that we have, we're going to completely digital. And so, you know, is that a trend that, that you're seeing? And I'll, Paul, I'll, I'll ask you, I, as you, I know Blue Toad has provide, provided and does provide services to BNP. Um, what's happening? Are we seeing this, is it just BNP or is there more of this going on? Yeah, there's definitely, uh, this is a trend uh, that we're seeing, just as Kevin and Gene have, have, have already described. I think we're all seeing an increase in uh, interest from publishers right now because digital is a great uh, a great option uh, especially right now uh, but in how they kind of migrate and evolve their business models and we've been working with BNP for 
for over a decade and, and you know, we were part of that process as they made their transition. But I've heard other customers say the same thing. It's kind of an acceleration of things they maybe already had planned. Um, and, you know, again, on a daily basis, we have more calls coming in. We have publishers looking to dive deeper. Um, you know, in, in the old days, you know, three months ago and before, a lot of publishers just kind of get their feet wet, you know, start with the basics. Maybe they don't pay as much attention to the product. Um, now what they're doing is jumping in and, and right into the deep end, right? The, what features do you have? What's, what's the most advanced I can, you know, I can do here? Um, how do I grow readership digitally? You know, all those questions strategically, we're just having a lot more conversation uh, with customers, which is great from our perspective. There are some negatives. Um, you know, right now in our space, you know, we, we mirror the publishing space uh, so closely. Uh, we're seeing, you know, fewer pages kind of across the board for, for a lot of our customers. Uh, we have some customers who, who are doing less issues. You know, their frequency is, is changing at the moment as they figure out how to, to handle this. But all in all, the trend is very positive. Uh, lots of interest and we're very busy. So those are all, you know, those are all good things, at least for us obviously, but it's it's good. It's making publishers rethink those models, uh, you know, re rethink their costs and strategically, you know, how they, again, evolve the business models. They really look at COVID. You know, I, I like to say, you know, we're all addressing COVID-19, but really it's COVID-20 and 21 that we're, we're having to think about, right? What's those mm -hmm. next two years look like uh, from a publishing perspective? And it's it's interesting to see how quickly things can move and evolve. Yeah. And from the lead-in comments, Kevin and Gene, you both said, you know, that you've got a almost a backlog now of requests for demos and things like that. So it clearly would seem to be a trend that everyone is more interested than they were before in the digital. Yeah. 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 I think a, an unintended uh, consequence that a publisher should be thinking through um, is that you're now competing for attention amongst a wider group of competitors, right? So, you know, at issue certainly the magazine publishing sector is, is important to us, but we serve a ton of different industries and different use cases around digital content. And so as a newsstand, you may be competing for readership amongst other news publications or magazines next to it on the physical stand, or people thinking about what do I want to subscribe to? Everyone's going digital, no matter whether it be, you know, hospital content or, you know, uh, businesses that are having to figure out how to communicate with their customers, um, you know, or organizations having to communicate with their employees. And so uh, a consumer of information is, is just getting a ton of noise right now across all sorts of use cases and sectors. Um, and so going digital is kind of, you know, going from maybe a, a, a lake into an ocean of content that you're competing for attention with across readership. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, I've got to switch back to my screen. So here we go. So on behavior with the pandemic, what changes in consumer behavior have you seen with digital products? Jean, what, what's your observation there? Yeah, here at Zinio, of course, um, if uh, people are familiar with Zinio, we have our own Zinio newsstand. So on the B2C side, consumers have been really responsive to push notifications that we send out. Um, and our marketing team has really spent time understanding the habits of the readers, like during certain hours, which articles are, you know, people are spending more time with. So we adapted our marketing efforts to, to really focus on messaging that will, um, that will really spread positivity during certain hours and shifting our content approach uh, using relevant content and launching and featuring articles that really promote uh, that kind of messaging. And then on the B2B side, uh, the marketing efforts uh, that we've seen success from our newsstand are something that we help our um, B2B publishers on how to guide them on using the tools that we have, uh, the digital solutions that they have uh, in using, you know, uh, push notifications, how to monetize some of the tools that we have now that they are using to make sure that they capture and acquire more users during this time and then really build upon uh, you know, the, the positive things that they can really get from um, the crisis that we're, we're in now. So in, in a high level 
sort of dashboard way. Uh, do you, any of the three, do you track the what's happening on a consumption basis so that would you be able to say, if I go back and I look at January or year on year, if I look at say April of 20 versus April of 19, are there factoids that you could share where uh, either open rates are up or time spent is up or, you know, as everyone's been sheltered at home, I know everyone's doing more of these virtual conferences, but are we also seeing consumption rising? Jean, what, what yes. can you share? Uh, on the newsstand side, we actually saw about uh, 31% um, um, in, increase on the re readership. Um, we've seen a very interesting shift from uh, the web readership into mobile. So I guess, of course, everybody's on their phone, uh, reading on their phones and tablets. So that's the interesting thing that we uh, that we see nowadays, and similar with the um, with the sales that we're getting from the commerce side of Zenio.com, um, that's why um, we work very closely with the publishers that we work with to make sure that the 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 type of content that they have are very timely for us to promote and for them to get um, more um, distribution globally. Uh, the ones that are relevant in a certain country and things like that are uh, representative. Rep represented accurately. Yeah, so I'm assuming Paul and Kevin, you're seeing the same thing that the consumption's been up during the pandemic. Yeah, I, you know, just uh, we've seen the same thing. We've seen an increase in consumption. We also we launched some surveys just before uh, COVID really hit, and then follow-up surveys just after. And it was kind of interesting. One, we we saw that a lot of people, uh, magazine readers in particular, were looking. And reading digital content before all this happened, um, the numbers that, that we got were about 75%. Um, and the number one reason they were citing was uh, convenience. And many were using phones. And just statistically, on our platform, we see over over half typically are using a phone to access digital content. So it kind of makes sense if you're on a phone. Uh, sometimes getting that digital version is just kind of convenient, uh, you know, to see it on your phone as it comes through. Um, and then maybe later still engage with the print. Then we did a follow-up survey once COVID did hit, and there were a few interesting things that came out of that. One, uh, magazine readers were worried about their mail and just the safety of delivery. So, so that was something on their minds that 70% said they were worried about. Um, and then the opportunity that I saw for publishers is they were saying they care more now you know, over 50% in all these categories said that we care more about the trustworthiness of the content that we're getting. Um, we care more about the brand now than we used to care. Um, and and then kind of the, the, the kicker at the end was they want to hear more from those trusted brands now than they did before. So I think those are all good opportunities for publishers. We're obviously, seeing, uh, you know, being very aggressive on the digital side, like we already said. And uh, and I think readers are engaging more with digital at the moment. Right. And Kevin, the, likewise? The only, yeah, the only little tidbit I'd add on top of those, um, you know, with the, the, the 4 million publishers creating content and putting content on our site, we have billions of page views a, a month. So it's an interesting uh, sample size. I think the two interesting things that we've seen is unique visitors is growing about twice as fast. Sorry, visits is growing about twice as fast as unique visitors. And so what we're seeing is people are not only coming to the site, but actually coming back more and more often, uh, which is an interesting trend that we hadn't seen previous to, to COVID. Um, and readership or read time at, at a page level is up about 30%. So more people are coming. They're coming back more often. And when they're on issue, they're spending more time reading the content that's been published. Um, you know, and it's a trend that started at the beginning of the year, but we've seen really uh, exponentially grow through this time uh, that we're, we're currently seeing. Cool. Uh, two of the points that we noticed, not having done a survey, but just in reading what's happening in the press, you know, Paul, to your point, one of the first things the printing plants had to do is come out and prove that the paper doesn't contain the virus so that you don't need to worry about your magazines being physically delivered. And I thought that was interesting that they, they came out and reported on that study. And then the other point was uh, fake news, you know, with social media being what it is, a lot of people like, okay, I can only take so much of this. Now I really want to get to the real stuff. And they turn to the trade press for their vertical, you know, to get that information, particularly as the trade press shifted its content to talk about COVID and how people are 
successfully dealing with the, with this pandemic within that vertical um, industry. So we're looking at a, uh, a survey tool to help our publishers really talk about a net promoter score where, you know, the, the expectation is people are going to find that the trade press is actually fact and it's not fake news and, and people uh, turn to that consistently and maybe now do so, it seems, more in a digital environment. So uh, next up, this is a, uh, the numbers here are the, the rule sections in our standards, but the composition of the digital products that you all produce. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but probably about eight to 10 years ago, these four definitions came about where we had an editorial replica, which means you took the magazine, the printed magazine, effectively made a PDF of it, and that was the digital publication. We had an option for a replica plus, which was a replica of the editorial, but you could do extended features, you could add video, things that you couldn't find in the tactile print. Uh, the third element was targeted, where editorial content uh, in the traditional print world, we would have thought these were editions where the content was targeted to a demographic profile. So certain demographic profiles within the audience got certain content. And then the ultimate was dynamic, where every single copy of an issue could have been unique based on you know, the individual demographics of each person. Honestly, on the BPA end, we see more of A, than we have ever seen D, right? So we see more editorial replica. We see a little bit of the replica plus. We don't see very much at all of the dynamic. So if you could just each uh, give us a sense, starting with Kevin, how does it stack with an issue? Is it all editorial replica or what? No, I, I, no, it's not all editorial replica, but it's definitely towards the trend you, you, you mimic that the dynamic is rare. And that's largely on the back of just capabilities and bandwidth on both the tool side and the, the publisher side. What, I would, what I'd say is a trend that we're seeing on issue is that an editorial replica isn't enough. Um, you've got to uh, take your content and package it in a way that the reader wants to consume it. Um, and in the traditional sense, that would take more people, more time, and more money. And what issues allowed our publishers to do is upload that editorial replica, and then with a couple quick clicks of a button and some you know, mouse slides, create a replica plus, or more importantly, maybe even some targeted content that they can then use the uh, mobile articles or create social stories um, or create you know, subsets of the original content that they can target uh, users based on a long list of demographics. And so um, to summarize, I'm back with you, Glenn, that yes, I think things still start as an editorial replica when it's uploaded, but what we're enabling our publishers to do is quickly create replica plus targeted stuff and also mobile articles to consume on mobile devices, which Paul and Gene have already mentioned is the number one way that people consume content today, and then social stories, and then, and then. So it's kind of that create once and distribute everywhere. So one effort, one piece of content can be leveraged in as many different places as possible and as many channels as possible. Right. And I, it, for those of you who are watching who did not see the interview with Tag Henderson, uh, we've posted it both on, both on the website and in our LinkedIn group, Coping with uh, Corona and Media. I'd encourage you to go in and, and watch that. One of the things he said, Kevin, which I found very interesting, when he announced that they were making the change, the folks who do the design element of the magazine sort of went gaga saying, oh my gosh, I no longer have to be restricted by the confines of the print product. I can now design something intended to be consumed digitally and I can make these enhancements that I felt I was sort of handcuffed and I couldn't do on the print product alone. And so I thought that was a very interesting comment he made. So I'd encourage everyone to, you know, have a look there. Um, and and he has point, the, I think, sorry, real quick. I think yeah. he has the benefit of having a design team that was excited and able to go gaga. I think a lot of our customers, what we're hearing is that they're resource constrained. And so finding tools that allow you to kind of go gaga without having the design capability to do that is really important And that you can kind of take your core asset, get it up on the web, and then quickly and dynamically create those different uh, uh, assets is, is I think an important uh, trait or trend that we're seeing across the industry. Right. Yeah. It's I, I would second that, Glenn. I mean, we're seeing the same thing. One big thing I've always believed with publishers just generally is that 
if, if it takes work, you know, it's, it just generally doesn't work. So they need things to be as, as simple and streamlined as possible, just from a resource perspective. So that's something we really push, you know, to be able to create these experiences right. with very little effort. I, I would say, I just wanted to add one thing on your, your question there. We are seeing more of those kind of dynamic and targeted uh, efforts. Um, we've, We'd started implementing a few years ago how we tag content and and then ultimately uh, give it to readers. So we have things like personalized channels that they can look at, and it's kind of filtering the content from that publisher uh, based on their past kind of reading experiences. And the other thing we are seeing is that targeted element um, where the um, uh, where we can create kind of basically topical channels. So it's really interesting. Again, a, a lot of this really wasn't implemented or used very much outside of the last, you know, four or five months. And with with COVID hitting, people are wanting to test those boundaries and do more with it. And um, and we are seeing an actual increase in customers wanting fully responsive versions and things that can be targeted. And and it's you know, it really, it's a matter of just how you uh, organize that content and how you deliver it ultimately. Um, it, to try and create those experiences for the reader, but uh, it's a growing trend. Yeah. All right. Now, we'll, we'll have. The, yep. Go ahead, Gene. Oh, I just want to add on the Zinio side, uh, the publishers that we actually work with are care care um, care about both um, versions. So that's why we gave the users the option to toggle between the replica version and the reflowable mm -hmm. text. And that really helps them, you know, number one for, for their design team to be continue to be proud of the design and layout that they, they are doing. And then of course on the customer side, um, the ease of use when they're on smaller devices. So that's the beauty of having both of the options available. Uh, and that's actually have been part of our normal production process since 2012. Right. So a sidebar, I've got to wonder and think about this, but um we should be encouraging more publishers to report on whether it's a replica or a replica plus or targeted because as we'll get into our questions there's one about engagement how do you get people to engage so i'll hold off till we get to there but on the audience side you know the digital editions give publishers user engagement data mapped back to the unique and it also offers the opportunity for publishers to grow their database of known users and this was another point that tag henderson had made that they're now going to be able to go outside the audience that they typically have had for print and capture other people coming in largely through a visit to a website that then goes to the digital version of the magazine and print offers you know little if any feedback so what type of information can publishers glean from digital users using your tools paul um, well, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the one reality with digital is, is you can see nearly everything. And sometimes that's, you know, both good and bad for a publisher, you know, when they see what's working or what's not working. But, you know, just uh, there's all kinds of inter interesting information to pull from that, you know, demographically, uh, geographically, where people are at, um, you know, what devices they're using. One of the first things we go through with a lot of customers when they, they ask is, hey, how many people are accessing your content from a phone? Because we think it's important that if somebody comes at, comes at it from a phone, you give them the right experience right out of the gate. Um, if, you, if you send them to a replica edition, um, what we've seen is they bounce very quickly. And so they need to be in something that makes sense. And, uh, and publishers will push back and say, oh, we, we don't have that many phone readers. Well, we'll go into the data and look, and lo and behold, it's, it's anywhere in that 40 to 60% range, and they're usually pretty surprised. So there's a ton of data there. I think it can, it can inform what, what types of content can be successful, how they organize their content, where their audience is, who their audience is. There's just a ton of data. And unfortunately, the reality is, uh, in my experience, that you know, it's it's often 10 percent or less of, the, of customers that really dig into that. Um, I do think uh, just as we've been talking about, trends are changing. And I think now publishers are caring more. I've had more conversations over the past you know, 60 days with customers wanting to dive into their analytics. What can we find? How can we use it? And you didn't have those conversations before because, you know, they maybe just they're, you know, the digital product was what it was and they put it out there and they didn't think about it as much. And so, um, but, but there's a lot of data to be had. 
Uh, if there's signups or, or, or subscriptions or gating in front of it, you can even start to tie things, as you say, back to that unique user. And, uh, and publishers need to look at this more and take advantage of it for sure. Right. And so, Gene, let's talk about statistics. So what, I mean, I'm generally, I'm presuming from mm -hmm. what I've seen on the audit side, you can get open, unopened counts, the unsubscribed, links, clicks, counts, and then maybe a timeline, uh, open rates by day or by hour, the click rate. Uh, I think those are seen or assumed to be some of the standards. Uh, we don't really see publishers reporting on their open rates, uh, mostly because everyone, you know, from the get-go a few years ago, were paranoid that their open rates were low. No one knew what a good open rate was. Uh, they don't know that on print, but they did now know that on digital in terms of what it, what the open rate was, but whether that was good or bad, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, just confirm that, yeah, those are the general ones, but what else, what other metrics can can publishers look for to help inform them? Yeah, for publishers that we work with that really invest time in um, embracing the analytics that we provide them, um, the most important uh, data that they always ask and look for are, of course, the, the issue open rate, uh, the time spent on articles uh, that are read, uh, time spent on advertising advertising page, the click, uh, the clicks from ad pages, um, and then all of our digital solutions are um, everything is events triggered. So any clicks on a banner um, are all captured by the analytics that we provide and um, the segmentations of users and every every campaigns that a publisher uh, does um, on the mobile app, for example, and they're able to segment uh, um, if clicks from New York City is different from Austin, what are they getting geographically? Those are the most important ones that they um, tend to look for and capture. Okay. Um, our next question has to do with reach and frequency. Um, and this really is driven by a few weeks ago, we had a media buyer panel that talked about you know, what do they look for when they're evaluating media. And one of them, I think it was Terrence McDermott who had made the point that uh, when it comes to digital content and digital copies, he was interested, uh, he used the example of, say you have a 25% open rate. He said, what I'd like to know is, do I need to advertise four issues in a row to hit 100% of the audience? Or if I advertise four times in a row, am I hitting the same 25%? So that even though it's a 25% open rate, I might be happy and comfortable with that. But I'd like to know, is it the same 25%? So can publishers see how many subscribers view the digital copy and consistently do so issue after issue? So in other words, how many first-time viewers are there versus this is a habitual consumer? Yes. And that's, yep, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Is that a question for me? Yep, yep, go ahead, Jean. Oh, okay, yeah, so uh, we do report everything is tagged uh, by issue. So we, we tag every issue with its own issue ID and um, we do report on use unique users. Um, the time spent, of course, for um, the issues depending on, um, you know, the time of day, hour of the day, those are uh, captured in the analytics. Okay, and I would assume, Kevin and Paul, it's the same capabilities generally. Right offer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, maybe. I'd offer the good old consultant answer of it depends. Um, yep. So to your four, four issue, 25% open rate, um, one advantage that we see, you know, with the 100 million unique visitors that come to issue to consume content, uh, many of them are logged in. And so at the individual user, I can start reporting out on, you know, what issues that they uh, consumed, you know, what pages they viewed, and actually it can get to a very specific answer to that, you know, reach and frequency. And it's going to, it's going to be different publication to publication to publication. I, I do see this trend that we've got to stop maybe thinking about publications and magazines in the traditional print way and shift to thinking about it in a digital context. And what I mean by that is, you know, as a marketer, you know, I'm the head of marketing, so I, you know, I'm very familiar and interested in this reach and frequency question. I traditionally would think about magazines as a brand awareness tactic. I'm going to put brand advertising because I'm going to put a print ad in a publication and I'm going to 
at best be able to guess on what the impact was to my overall business. When I shift to digital, I actually can move from a brand awareness to actually performance marketing. So I can actually say a dollar in is going to get me a dollar 87 out and I'm going to be able to go to my CFO and increase spend because I'm able to, at least on the issue, I'm able to allow my publishers to embed a link. And then I can actually then treat it like a CPC or cost per click type based measurement and watch conversion, not just reach and frequency, which is a brand metric. I can actually follow that all the way through my business and understand did it, the user or the reader uh, do what I wanted them to do? Did they buy my product? Did they engage with my business? Did they ask for a demo? Whatever my business might be, um, it becomes brand versus pr uh, performance. And that's the most significant impact that I think I'm observing in the publishing industry is for publishers to then offer that uh, performance-based metric or performance marketing to their advertisers versus having to chase brand spend, which is a lot harder to procure. Right. All right. Good points. Uh, let me bounce back into my PowerPoint here and come up to our next question on devices. Um, so share with us the, the type of consumption that you see on the device level. And that's a question for you, Jean. Yeah, so what we've seen uh, on the B2C side, um, I'm gonna start with the commerce side of Zinio.com. Um, the iOS um, devices are about 54%. And I, I actually got and uh, listed the top five devices. So that is iPad Air 2, iPad 6 Gen, iPhone 10, and iPad Pro. And then followed uh, by web uh, browsers. And surprisingly, uh, the first uh, or the top device is still the iPhone browser, the Safari. And then mm -hmm. followed by Windows and then the Mac browser. Uh, on a Mac and uh, iPad uh, browser. And then lastly, it's actually increasing in number. Um, Android is 16% uh, and the top five devices are Samsung Galaxy Tab A, Samsung Note 10, Asus Z, uh, Z00 and Huawei P8 Lite. So those are the devices that we've seen for, from, from the B2C side. On the branded app side or the mobile apps that we uh, create for the publishers, um, tablet is a number one uh, for readership, and that is 56.8%, and then followed by web, uh, which is 21.75, and then um, we uh, see 21.43% on the phone um, readership. Interesting, and I wonder if it's the is the capability there to separate those numbers out from uh, consumer magazine content versus a B2B magazine content, do you think? Yeah, so the, the branded apps uh, numbers that I mentioned at uh, the last part was based on a B2B uh, okay. and magazine okay. that I averaged out. All right, cool. All right, cool. Uh, digital copies digital on, websites. on websites. So without registration. Without registration. What data, what can, data be captured can be captured that can help that can identify, an, identify audience? an audience? Paul? Paul? Um, you know, I mean, that, Kevin was kind of talking to that a bit okay. uh, earlier okay. as well. When you, when you have registrations or subscriptions, um, you can tie things to individual users from a data perspective. And when you don't, um, generally, you know, with privacy regulations and everything out there right now, uh, we try to be very careful of what we track and how we track it and what we give over to publishers uh, by default. But, you know, it's it's some of the things that we talked about earlier. You can still find a lot about, you know, just them, you know, from a, 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 a geographic perspective, device perspective, browsers that you're, they're using. Um, and those can inform a lot of the publishing decisions um, if that uh, uh, content is gated behind something else on the website or is tied to their analytics from their website. You can have a lot of uh, kind of cross analyzation, you know, basically, um, you know, so something we see a big trend of is kind of integrating other tracking systems into our digital content so that it can be tracked alongside the website or alongside other initiatives and they have a bigger picture to, um, to, to kind of view there. Um, but, you know, again, all of that data can be helpful um, to a certain extent. And then, you know, if they really want to dive deep, they can put very specific trackers, you know, into the content, put a registration in front of it and, and start to see what individual uh, potential users are doing. 
Um, but that that's what we're seeing generally, you know. Right. Yeah. And Kevin, and Kevin similarly, similarly, I don't know if anyone else, is getting, anyone else is getting an echo. But I am. But I am. Are you? We are well. We are well. I wonder what it is. Okay. Did it, uh, did it just uh, start, Glenn, or, or was it previously there? No, it just started. No, it just started. Huh. And you still have it? Yes. Yes. All right. Let me take out my microphone and just see if that fixes it for us all. Okay. Okay. No, it's still there. All right. So, I'm, I'm uh, unplugged. So, Kevin, with the so registration, Kevin, with the registration, I'm sorry, without registration. Sorry, without registration. What can the, what publisher, can the publisher report on? I, I guess what I'm saying here is they have some options. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think these, this question, and maybe, uh, Gene, you can mute. Uh, that might prevent some of the echo. So, Glenn, um, I, I, the question is, why are we asking these questions? I think, right? So uh, does it matter what device people are consuming content on? Well, yes, as long as you use that information to do something. For example, we, of course, see the same thing with the trend to mobile. That means that if you're a magazine publisher, your content's got to look great on mobile, right? Um, and a flippable experience on a mobile device may not actually be the best way to consume it. We need to convert that uh, to a mobile scrollable article like in Apple News. And, you know, that's one of the things Issue helps uh, our publishers do. On the without registration, well, what are we actually trying to do? Many publishers use Issue because with the, you know, the, the hundreds of millions of readers that come and view content, I'm trying to get my content exposed to new people. And so registration is absolutely a key uh, path to, to targeting users. But to Paul's point, you know, cookies and what have you allow you to get around registration. But as we mentioned earlier in the call, with the third-party cookies kind of going away, what can we do? And I think the, the trend we're seeing is the reliance on contextual advertising and contextual relevance. So if an issue reader is coming in uh, natively uh, through Google search, finding a publication about car racing, we're able to then take and contextually show them other publications that is relevant to car racing to expose them to stuff and content that they might be interested in, exposing new publishers to potential digital sales or at least uh, free readers. The same thing flows through to a digital publications advertising. So as you're a publication going from print, having to show the same ad to every reader, you're able to then show different ads based on the reader's previous and, and, and contextual content that they're reading on a site-like issue. Um, and so uh, it's going to get harder with cookies going away and privacy increasing. Certainly outside the U.S., it's already gotten harder. And so the key is to find platforms you know, like Issue and others that allow you to start pairing uh, a vast readership and log, you know, maybe not logged in, but contextual relevance on a site to, to show them the, the content and advertising you might be interested in. Yeah, but w without registration, if I go to a publisher's website, um, that's now first that's party now data. First party data. And so if I capture, so if I capture yeah, I'm still getting the echo I'm now, getting okay? The echo. It must be me. It must be me. So if I capture so if I the um, IP address, I mean, I should be able to do a reverse lookup on the IP address and at least tell who the owner is of that domain that's pulling down content. So I could start to talk about account-based marketing without really knowing it's Glenn Hansen, but I could know it's from BPA, that BPA is accessing my magazine. And so we're curious because we have publishers who come to us and say, look, I've got so many subscribers, but I also have the ability to get to the publication on the website. And if I don't require registration, what data can I give to you, BPA, so that you can help me tell the advertisers who is coming in to get the content? Not, not ideally by the name, but there is some data that I can collect, right? So who is that responsibility on to take that IP address and do a reverse lookup to say it belongs to a particular company? Is that part of the, the, the technology that you have or is that on the publisher to do that kind of lookup? And that's a question for everybody. I, I think it's on the publisher. Um, um, you know, we, we have you know, plenty we, of we data that we're willing to share. Um, yeah, there's, there are so many, with every solution, it's five more problems, right? So. Think about the, the example where 
the reverse lookup. In a remote work environment, how many people are actually in their offices on the domain that's associated with their business versus their home? Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of challenges there. Ultimately, what I think uh, the most important thing, this is the marketing guy in me talking, is you've got to deliver value such that people are willing to exchange a registration information because then this all goes away. If you're providing value with relevant and good content in exchange, many users are willing to give you their information or at least some information. And then that kind of gets around the, the, the ambiguity of reverse looks up, IP addresses, first party cookies, what have you. Okay. I'd also point out that IP addresses, I mean, just when you get into GDPR, the CCPA, I mean, those are really touchy things to be gathering. And we actually will, to the extent we can, disable some of that um, if they want to be compliant with those with those regulations. Um, you still have to use IP address for a lot of things, but we try and kind of cleanse it from those from the from the analytics to the extent we can, because they're very specifically identified as personal information, just the IP address alone. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting topic, but it certainly falls on the publisher to try and make more use of that data. Um, you know, as, as a platform, um, those are, again, kind of uncomfortable areas sometimes on the privacy side to be diving too deep into. Yeah, and Glenn, from our, from my, from our experience here at Zinio, for the ones who license our SDK, uh, for the HTML5 reader to appear on their website. At the very least, they ask for the email address um, before someone can really get into the content. And that paywall is actually something that publisher uh, put up on their website. Website, yeah. Okay. Uh, techniques to build. Are there techniques publishers can use to build acceptance of the digital format? And I think, you know, by the former recipients of print and to sort of lead into this, you've already said, I think that uh, the replica plus, you know, the ability to customize the content, both contextual, you know, uh, ads as well as content to what the reader wants would seem to lead to greater engagement. But so if I'm a publisher and I ask you the question, you know, what can I do to entice my print, formerly print readers to use the digital product? Um, what's our answer there, Paul? Yeah, uh, sorry, I was taking myself off mute uh, just to make sure I'm not causing the echo here, but. Um, yeah, th there's a lot there. I mean, certainly the replica alone is not going to do it. Uh, you need enhanced content. You need a, a mobile-friendly uh, experience for the reader. You need some digital content that's that's specific that kind of brings that reader back. And I'm a big um, kind of a cheerleader for just lots of promotion. I, I don't think enough publishers really talk to their readers about their digital product enough and say, hey, here are the three, four, five reasons why we think it's really important and our digital adds value to the experience and actually tell the reader that, you know, it's maybe it's this great archive, maybe it's this great phone experience, maybe it's an audio kind of version of the content that can be listened to, but publishers that just do it and then don't really promote it, um, you know, they, it doesn't just follow naturally. It takes too much time. And especially right now, when they're trying to make real quick changes and pivot quickly and, and show some success, um, they got to promote the heck out of it. And it really makes a big difference to, you know, again, if you don't know as a publisher why digital is adding value and how it's important to the experience, how can you expect the reader to? So publishers right. need to do that, go through that process, and then very methodically tell the reader exactly what matters and why, the, why they're doing what they're doing. And I think promotion is really the key outside of needing some of that extra content, you need grist for the mill ultimately, but you got to promote it. So continuing on. I that think there's theme, a greater. Uh, th it, this question feeds in, Kevin, so you can jump in a second, but same kind of concept here, Gene, driving usage. You know, what can publishers do to drive usage? And Paul's saying, you know, it's all about promoting. I know Kevin's going to jump in a second, but Gene, what do you recommend to publishers to do that? So for publishers who, of course, are struggling because uh, their print subscribers have no email addresses on record, publishers um, have been creative in capturing email addresses. Some of the publishers that we work with invest time in their social media page pages now. So they ask customers or they provide free one or two issues or for, for controlled publications, they put up like a web app 
that will capture the email address of the of the user and then they can start reading the replica version if they are on a desktop and then um, also provide the mobile version um, that will give them the reflowable text. So it's still dependent on, you know, what that print customer would like to use to, to, to read the content on. And then number two, publishers are also investing more time in personalized newsletter content that they provide uh, and send out to the ones that have email addresses. So what, what I've seen for the past couple months is the editor in chiefs are really spending time um, providing that personalized letters to, to users and really engaging with customers on a personal level and provide recommendations and things like that. Okay. And then Kevin, I cut you off. You had something to add? Yeah, I, I, and all I can really speak to is what I'm seeing you know, at issue. And I, I actually think there's a slightly different question that could be asked. Instead of worrying about how my print readers can convert to digital, I think this shift to digital that is happening and has been, as you've already said, uh, expedited by this COVID-19 pandemic, is how can I use this as an opportunity to expand readership drastically? Um, and there's really two paths to doing that. One is I've got to take what is, um, you know, uh, the traditional print model or, or, you know, the flip, you know, cover to cover reader and take that content and broadcast it everywhere in the formats that potential readers are natively reading. And that's social stories on Instagram and Facebook and others. It's mobile articles and Apple news. Uh, and again, it's that kind of upload once and distribute everywhere model that we enable at issue. Secondly, uh, search engine optimization is absolutely critical. And so, you know, we all know, you know, Google's a verb because of the millions and hundreds of millions of people around the world that use Google to find what they're looking for. And I, I don't know our exact Alexa score today, but we're roughly 300 and something, which means we're the 300th most popular website by traffic in the world, which means we have a huge domain authority. And so a small publisher that puts their content on issue gets to ride the coattails of issue.com when it comes to Google's algorithms. And a majority of our traffic comes from people organically searching for content on Google and finding their way under one of our publishers' publications. And so I would encourage any publisher that's on the call today to yes and your question, right? Think about how I can get my old um, traditional print readers onto digital, but more importantly, leverage this opportunity to expand my readership drastically through, you know, distributed channels and uh, search engine optimization. Okay. On the audience side, ads and print have delivered results and uh, on a pass along basis. So what's the experience with passing along digital copies? And I'm not sure, I guess we could say, Kevin, what do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, Certainly, me having a magazine and leaving it in the doctor's office or giving it to Paul, you can never track that, right? It's super impossible, not impossible, very, very difficult to track. Um, the nice thing about Pass Along is on issue, we can allow you to download content or not. You get to select if you want to download it or not. Um, if you're embedding links into your content, uh, it goes back to my earlier comments around brand advertising versus performance advertising. And so there's a network effect if you enable people to share and you give your advertisers the uh, ability to embed links in your publication, you're just expanding the value of uh, eyeballs and potential clicks. And that's all trackable in our stats um, uh, product to allow people to understand uh, how many people are clicking on an ad and ultimately taking uh, the action that advertisers want. So again, brand versus tracking of performance, this just expands or uh, enabling the pass along or the sharing allows you to just kind of add an exponential lens onto performance advertising. But if I read an article in a digital, in my copy of my digital publication, and I want to tell Glenn Schutz, Hey, here's an article that I want you to read. Um, the advertiser wants them to go to that version because the ad is adjacent to the content or it's on the same page as the content. And so pass along on the print side, Granted, you have to get there through a research study to get the metrics, but pass along on the research side is a, is a factor. So on the digital side, um, does the technology enable me as the primary reader to then say to someone, 
you know, here is HVAC news. I want you to read the article on page 13. How do I do that? You hit the share button on issue. Uh, or uh, if the publisher wants you to do it, you download the publication, you can email it. It's all okay. controlled by what the publisher wants to happen. So the download version is essentially a digital version of passing along. I've downloaded it, I'm emailing it to you, right. Glenn, and you're gonna read it. The advertising flows with it, the right. embedded clickable links are there, and you can track that. Uh, the sharing is tracked on our platform. You can understand how many shares you've had. Um, and, so it's, and, when you, and when you marry the two, you kind of have a holistic view of what your pass along reach is. Right, is that the same, Gene? For, for the mobile app solution that we have, we enable the social sharing um, and the pass along. And that is a feature that both controlled publications and paid publications have um, in, in the solution. For the paid ones, of course, when you share an article and that person doesn't have a subscription or is not, uh, um, doesn't have that issue on their, um, on their library, they will have to pay. Uh, they will go right. through the PayPal and the commerce um, purchase path. And then for the controlled ones, we give publishers an option for them to feature a certain article for them to be able to share without any authentication needed. Okay. And Paul, I assume well, likewise? Likewise. Yeah, the same. I mean, we have the same features. It's up to the publisher how they want to allow sharing to work and download and those sorts of things. Some are some some are really restrictive of it, and some are really, you know, that's their whole model. the The reality, though, in, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to digital, is you can see how many people are viewing it, right? We know how many right. active users right. look at the content now, whether they were a pass along or they were an original, you know, recipient. Um, all of that data is there, and so publishers have to make sense of it. And I do think this is it was part of this transition. They got to figure out how to how that shift occurs. And you know, when they have these pass along rates that they put together on the print side, and they get advertisers kind of buying into that, now they're on the digital, and they have maybe a different number that they could see or actually you know that are looking at it, and they got to justify and show value in that. And I do think they're more meaningful readers typically that, that are on the digital side that are engaging that way. Um, and so it, it's something that, you know, publishers, you know, have to kind of get through and, and look at the analytics and ultimately, um, you know, show those numbers to the advertisers and, and get them to buy in. All right. So we're just up over an hour now and I can see we're starting to get some drop off on our attendance. So I want to just kind of zip through. So I'll limit our, our uh, answers to some of these questions so we can come up on time. Uh, the notion of case studies um, of success from which our audience can learn um, very quickly, very, very quickly. Uh, anything, anything unique that might be of interest to the audience, Gene? Yeah, so uh, on, on Zinio, of course, we enable digital um, distribution for both paid and controlled publications for publications who are not really willing to start um, selling their publications on newsstands and really um, getting revenue from the subscription base. What we do is we help them with global distribution with the set of global resellers that we have. We have partnerships with the libraries across the globe. Uh, we partner with newsstands in Europe, Asia, that will really give their um, give their circulation global reach without really having to have um, resources to to have you know agreements with those newsstands uh, globally. And then with the print uh, disruptions, we help publishers with smooth um, um, onboarding on. On the digital side, um, we guide them with the production process on how to, you know, prepare um, the source files to to um, efficiently put it on a digital version. And of course, our our solution here at Zinio always gives that option for a user to read uh, replica and also the reflowable text version. All right. Um, what I'll do, I'm going to skip the next one because it kind of can feed into the last one, which is um, what might our audience not know? Even I learned some things today, clearly, but what might our audience not know about digital magazines? So what's the one thing that you find, each of you, now I'll, I'll go through it alphabetically, but each of you, what's the, the most frequent thing when you have a conversation with a publisher about your capabilities, 
What's the most frequent thing that you find that they didn't know anything about? Paul? Yeah, I, I think it's just this is for us personally, and maybe it's it's you know not that astounding, but most don't know that they can give us a PDF file and we can produce a fully kind of reflowable version in a few days, and they can have that really great engaging experience without having to do a lot of work themselves. That's usually the biggest the biggest win. And then there are so many tech technology hooks in here, like again producing an audio version of your content that readers can just listen to that are kind of more check the box style features that they can implement. It's usually those sorts of things. And, and we like to talk to them again about, regardless of what you do, it's still important that you have kind of a curated experience and a packaged experience. And I think publishers, when they think digital, they, they start to go down this path of maybe I just have a website and just post a bunch of stuff to it and let it just kind of go endlessly. And as Kevin mentioned earlier, you know, you're now in the big, the big swimming pool or the big, you know, ocean, and there's tons and tons of people doing that with very little restriction. As a traditional publisher, I think that's a bad move. You need to have a nice curated packaged experience. The reader trusts that, and whether it's responsive or it's replica, it's still, it, it signals something that there, it's a better, you know, it's better content. And I think those are the types of conversations when they're talking digital that they're maybe not always thinking through. All right, so Kevin, what's the first surprising thing for your audience? Um, you know, you can go from uploading the PDF to a beautiful, embeddable, flippable experience on issue in a few seconds or maybe 30 seconds if it's a really thick, big file. Super simple, super easy. I think the surprising thing that we're seeing across publishers is that's not enough. Like, if you think that's going digital as a publisher, you're going to probably fail to be completely candid. You've got to figure out how to take that asset you've spent so much time working on and compiling and distributing it everywhere. And that means where your readers' eyeballs are at, which is social channels, uh, news uh, outlets such as Apple News and Google News. And people are very surprised that with just a few more clicks and a few more seconds of time, that issue can help you go from that uploadable, flippable experience to a fully distributed uh, del uh, deliver a derivative content strategy in just a few seconds. And then the last surprise that people uh, kind of find on issue is that we have Collaborate, which is a flat planning tool that allows people, which is more important now than ever when we're not in the same office, to you know allocate article space, advertising space, uh, allow a sales force to sell and place advertising all within the confines of our tool. Um, that's a pleasant surprise to many of our publishers who find their way onto issue. And Jean? Yeah, um, because advertising has been impacted a lot, um, a lot of publishers need to know that print ads doesn't need to be the same um, when they're selling digital ads. What our publishers are doing to monetize their advertising is really on the mobile solution that they have. They sell the banner space and advertising space and they can monetize on that space. The in-app uh, messaging in the mobile app is something that publishers can also utilize to, to you know, um, amplify their advertising for digital. And that's something that is really um, helping a lot of our publishers, um, you know, regain the losses that they have on advertising front. All right. I think now we should be into Q&A. So Glenn, what have you got for us? Well, we had a number of questions, but I think the panelists answered them pretty well. There was one um, that was not touched on, which I'll offer out to the group, and whoever would like to can jump in. Uh, are the ads placed in the digital versions from private deals, or are they sold programmatically, or both? Yeah, I know from, from Bluetooth's perspective, it's both. Um, you know, we have a lot of kind of native platform ad units like, like most platforms do. Um, and customers typically use that, but we also integrate with ad management systems. So, but, you know, in saying that, I, I'll take that back. When they do integrate with ad management systems, they're still funneling those ads directly into the system or into the digital experience. They're not really programmatic um, in that sense. Um, and, I, and I think that's the right model generally because I think the digital experience is closer to the print experience and it's not like a website necessarily where you're just trying to funnel as many eyeballs through there and programmatically you know, make, make money off of that. Um, but that's what we're experiencing. 
Yeah, both are possible. I would always encourage a publisher to try to do a private deal because the CPM is always going to be a lot higher when you can place the ad directly in your publication versus waiting, you know, on a sometimes sub cent, uh, you know, click uh, cost on, on something that's programmatically placed. Mm. Ours is both as well. We have a solution that's um, like a mobile app for a traditional magazine where print ads and digital ads are um, laid out as print. And then the other version of the app that we have is actually feed-based. And that allows uh, a completely different reading experience for, for someone who really just want to read uh, like continuously on a mobile and then programmatically add the, the advertising in the middle of stories. Right. Okay. Uh, one more for you all. This is an interesting one. I'm, I'm not sure it can be answered, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Have you ever been asked for user data that you couldn't provide? And if so, what was it? All the time. <laughs> All the time. So that's <laughs> why um, on Zinio we have um, on the B2C side, of course, the privacy policy is on Zinio. We are really bound and strict with the user data for everyone who is registering and uh, being authenticated on the Zinio side. We are not able to provide those um, user data. And then for the second part, for the B2B solutions that we have, all of the privacy policy is um, within the publisher. Um, and they own it completely, so all the registrations are owned by the publishers. All right, Glenn, Anyone? that's it. Back to you. Oh, Unless okay. somebody else has more. All right. Okay, back to you. Well, thank you to our panelists. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Kevin, for joining Kevin us today. Joining thank us you, today. Thank our you, audience. our audience. Uh, future town halls next Wednesday. July 1st, we'll do one at 11 o'clock Eastern. Uh, there are two topics that we're exploring right now. One is uh, datalabel.org or data transparency. It's an initiative that came out of the IAB Tech Lab, joined with the ANA uh, and looking at transparency in all the data providers that are out there. And we think it's interesting. Uh, we're certifying companies against the Tech Lab standard uh, companies like Epsilon, Distillery, IOTA, and those of us who are on the B2B side who are do doing list rental or data providing, you should be knowledgeable about this data transparency initiative. So that's one of the topics we'll look to have uh, someone from IAB Tech Lab join us as well as one or two of the, uh, the big data companies to come uh, talk about that initiative. And then the next element is uh, consent management platforms built in with a blockchain uh, environment and what that might mean for the future. So those are two sessions that we're juggling now, which one will be next Wednesday. And I, I expect that the following week will take off because of the July 4th holiday, but stay tuned uh, for that. So for those of you, again, reminder, if you haven't joined that LinkedIn group, Coping with Corona and Media, we encourage you to do so. And there's the link. And otherwise, I wish you all uh, a great day. These are our other, um, divisions of BPA, the most recent one now, I Comply Sanitize, where we'll be certifying hospitality, meaning the hotel industry, the trade show industry for their venues and retail for their compliance with local regulations so they can open up again, uh, given this uh, COVID environment that we live in. But sorry for running a little bit long today. Thank you everyone for attending and thank you again to our panelists, Paul, Gene, and Kevin. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to this BPA University podcast. For more BPA University podcasts, visit iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.